Welcome, family, to today's podcast of Fernando Alcoholic. Let us go ahead and open this meeting with a moment of silence followed by the Lord's Prayer. Please. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Stay. All right. This morning we're going to be doing the uh, usual daily reflections, followed by the 24-hour book, followed by a reading from the A.A. Grapevine, followed by a 3,500-year-old book, Proverbs of Solomon, and followed by a 3,500-year-old book, the uh, Psalms of King David, and followed by uh, Faith to Faith. Okay, let's go ahead and get started. We prayed already, and we believe the impossible because we're asking for the remarkable order. Just like our readings, it says, uh, remarkable things will happen. And it just so happens that we're asking them through osmosis, through being members of the program. We are asking for remarkable things. At every meeting, remarkable things have happened to me and millions and millions of others who have participated honestly and with letting go the pro the 12-step program, concepts and traditions. Here we are, December the 18th. Honesty with newcomers. Daily Reflections. Tell him exactly what happened to you. Stress the spiritual feature freely. Stress the spiritual feature freely. Alcoholic Anonymous, page 93. The marvel of AA is that I tell you what happened to me. I don't waste time offering advice to potential newcomers, for if advice worked, nobody would get to AA. All I have to do is show what has brought me sobriety and what has changed my life. If I fail to stress the spiritual feature of AA's program, I am being dishonest. The newcomer should not be given a false impression of sobriety. I am sober only through the grace of my higher power, and that makes it possible for me to share with others. And like I said before, Fernando Alcoholic, God pays, puts petrol in my truck. He even provides the truck. He provides the sleep, the common sense, the joy, uh, uh, everything peaceful at home for me to be of service. God does for me remarkable things that I cannot do for myself. You know, I came in, <clears throat> I didn't know that I didn't know. I wasn't even able to ask for directions, <clears throat> but in, in the meeting, I did ask for direction by uh, acknowledging and participating in the prayers and then waiting and having patience in the meeting place my problems in the hands of my higher power whom I didn't know who he was but he was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself clearly effectively hitting home runs for me all I had to do was start running the bases and waving to the people 
and being happy, joyous, and free. Uh, I didn't realize this, but I asked for clarity and what the things I must do, and clarity came. Uh, My higher power, he gives us direction in all areas by being in a meeting through osmosis. (laughs) That's my experience, guys. Okay, moving right along, we're reading today's 24-hour book, Daily Reflection. AA Thought for the Day. Unless we have the key of fate to unlock the meaning of life, we are lost. We do not choose fate because it is one way for us, but because it is the only way. Many have failed and will fail, for we cannot live victoriously without faith. We are at sea without a rudder or an anchor, drifting on the sea of life. Wayfarers without a home are so Souls are restless until they find rest in God. Without faith, our lives are as meaningless succession of unrelated happiness and happenings without rhyme or reason. Have I come to rest in faith? Have I come to rest in faith? Beautiful. Meditation for the day. This vast universe around us, including this wonderful earth on which we live, was once perhaps only a thought in the mind of God. The nearer the astronomers and the physicians get to the ultimate compositions of all things, the nearer the universe approaches a mathematical formula, which is thought. The universe may be the thought of the great thinker. We must try to think God's thoughts after him. We must try to get guidance from the divine mind as to what his intention is for the world and what part we have in carrying out that intention. Prayer for the day. I pray that I may not worry over the limitations of my human mind. I pray that I may live as though my mind were a reflection of the divine mind. I'm Fernando, alcoholic. Wow. Hitting it out of the park. You know, um, I came to a conclusion earlier as I've been studying about electricity. I'm, I'm changing some electrical, electrical parts in my house. So I've been doing a lot of YouTube research on electricity. And guess what? Um, what's happening is it's the same concept with a higher power. Listen to this. I found out that Benjamin Franklin was wrong. That power goes, uh, springs from the negative side of a body of the, of the, and goes to the positive side, post, like for all things. Did you know that? That power comes out of the negative side of the post in a battery. For instance, in a car, the power leaves the negative side of the post and it goes and turns the starter, then the power returns back to the positive side of the post. <laughs> I got that r- r- wrong printing. In a battery, this is the truth. This is the same concept with our higher power. We thank him for a trying situation and he turns it with his positive power to his liking. We are the chooser or where that power is directed. If we choose to send out positive power from the <clears throat> to our to, we choose to thank God for the negative situation and God turns it and turns it to the power, 
to the right situation at his liking. And it gives me a check. I check myself, see how grown up I am towards the situation. And I keep thanking him and I get more grown up. I go through faces of poor me. I go through anger, stop my feet. And then I come to a conclusion that I'll accept it. And thank God, there's nothing I can do about it. And thank God for the rest of my life for this situation. And that's when my higher power um, changes this little child's attitude and the situation. And I said, huh, I wish I would have learned this years ago. Trying situations, there's love in back of each trying situation. If I pay the price of thanking him and go through the phases of emotions. I'm Fernando Alcoholic. That's my experience. Okay, let's move on. Um, What do we have? We have the grapevine reading today. Thank you so much for coming in and listening to my... I'm not going to call him ratting or... What do you call it? I don't know what to call it. All right, here we go. This article is called by uh, called Quiet Desperation. It's sent to us by Margie K of Park City, Illinois. Margie K S from October 1993, Grapevine. She walks to the store. A picture of middle-aged, middle-class, middle-management. Her shoes are well-polished. Her blue wool skirt comes just to her knees. A well-fitting jacket drops below her hips to disguise a figure that's becoming a bit too matronly. matronly. Her makeup is slightly faded. Her white silk blouse a little wilted. Our lady has had a hard day. With basket and arm, she chooses a head of lettuce, a bunch of grapes. A few aisles later, she has a loaf of bread. Absently, she drops in the evening news. Suddenly, her gait gait changes from lady strolling in the park to woman late for a meeting. She She halts in the liquor section. Now, a thin film of perspiration is apparent on her upper lip. She glances up and down the aisle. Is anyone? No, she's here. Does anyone? A shaky hand grabs the bottle, deposits in the basket, casually covers it with the newspaper. She strides to the checkout counter. The cashier is young, too young by state law to ring up alcohol. Our lady is enraged when the manager comes. Our lady snaps that if the store paid a living wage, they could hire some competent help. Help that could ring up a simple bottle of rum. In the parking lot, she slams into her car, stretches into reverse. Steady now, she thinks. You can't afford an accident. Carefully, she maneuvers her car through the lot and along the few short blocks to her home. At home, her shaking hand unlocks the door, closes it behind her, lock it. She takes down a glass, spills some rum into it. She gulps down the liquid fire. Her body shudders at each swallow she hates the taste but needs the drink when the glass is empty she sets it down for a moment and feels the warm glow flow through her seeping down to her toes now with steadier hands 
She refills the glass with rum and orange juice, half and half, and swallows it down. Rum tastes better this way. She thinks, why do I drink it straight? Absently, she builds a third drink. As an ice cube, it's time to feed the cat. Time was when she fed the cat first. Now the cat must wait. She goes to the living room carrying her drink. Feet up, she opens the paper and begins to read the news. She's distracted by the blue veins flowing too close to the surface of her wrist. It would be so easy, she muses, just a few cuts with a razor blade, but she knows she's a coward. There will be too much pain, too much blood. A thought occurs to her. In the bathroom, she finds the sleeping pills prescribed by a sympathetic doctor. She hadn't really lied to him. She hasn't been able to keep not without five or six drinks. She hasn't been able to sleep. She carries the pill bottle back to her chair, finishes her drink, bills another. She uncops the vial and pours the pills into her hand. She counts them one at a time. Twenty-nine pieces of eternity she holds in her hand. She returns them to their bottle. Two lines in the evening paper catch her eye. Do you have a desire to stop drinking? It asks. Call Alcoholics Anonymous 24-hour hotline. A local number follows. The pill bottle sits next to the telephone. Which to choose? Her hand grabs the telephone, dials the number. Listening to it ring, she takes another swallow of her drink. I need help, she mumbles into the receiver. I am an alcoholic, she confesses. She drains the rest of her glass. If AA doesn't work, she thinks, the pill will still be waiting. She puts the bottle behind her empty glass and waits for the answer. Margie K.S. from Park Hill, Illinois. Thank you, Margie, for sending in that article. And now, what do we move on to? We move on to Fate to Fate, Kenny Copeland. Extremely blessed by Gloria Copeland, December 18. A gift is a precious stone in the eyes of him that has it. Whatsoever it turneth, it prospers. Proverbs 17.8 If I could give you a gift this Christmas, the word is that I give you, I'd rather give it to you than a check for a million dollars. The Bible is what I'll give you. Because you can run through a million dollars real quick, but the truth of God's word never quits. And it will get you out of situations a million dollars can't get you out of. Ken and I are just ordinary people, but when we latch on to God's word, we latch on to something out of the ordinary, something that changed our lives, every area of our lives. Nothing that's happened to us has happened because of us. It's happened because of God's word. In fact, it don't even have to know you to promise you this. I don't have to know you. If you'll give God's word your full attention and not be afraid of his will for your life, you're going to be happier, more prosperous than anything you could ever dreamed of. Of course, if you do that, people may call you extreme. They say that about all of us all the time. But we don't mind. We are extreme. And if you'll set your faith on the word of God, 
you can be extreme too, extremely well, extremely prosperous, and extremely blessed. Merry Christmas. And now a reading from Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18, and uh, I have to switch over to English. thought I had it in English. Proverbs 18. Here we go. New Living Translation. It says, Unfriendly people care only about themselves. They lash out at common sense. Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. Doing wrong leads to disgrace, and scandalous behavior brings contempt. Wise words are like deep waters. Wisdom flow from the wise like a bubbling brook. It is not right to acquit the guilty or deny justice to the innocent. Fools' words get them into constant quarrels. They are asking for a beating. The mouth of fools are their ruin. They trap themselves with their lips. Rumors are dainty morsels that sink deep into one's heart. A lazy person is as bad as someone who destroys things. The name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The godly run to him and are safe. The rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. Haughtiness goes before destruction. Humility precedes honor. Spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. The human spirit can endure a sick body, but who can bear a crushed spirit? Intelligent people are always ready to learn. Their ears are open for knowledge. Giving a gift can open doors. It gives access to important people. The first to speak in court sounds right until the cross-examine begins. Flipping a coin can end arguments. It settles disputes between powerful opponents. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like gate locks with bars. Wise words satisfy like a good meal, and the right words bring satisfaction. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequence. The man who finds a wife finds a treasure, and he receives favor from the Lord. The poor plea for mercy, the rich answer with insults. There are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. Amen. Now we move over to Psalms 18, please. I love you, Lord. A Psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. He sang this song to the Lord on the day the Lord rescued him from all his enemies and from Saul. He sang, I love you, Lord. You are my strength. 
The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. I call on the Lord who is worthy of praise, and he saved me from all my enemies. The ropes of death entangle me. Floods of destruction swept over me. The gray wrapped his ropes around me. Death laid a trap in my path. But in my distress, I cried to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth quaked and trembled. The foundations of the mountains shook. They quaked because of his anger. Smoke poured from his nostrils. Fierce flames leaped from his mouth. Glowing coals blazed forth from him. He opened the heavens and came down. Dark storms, clouds were beneath his feet. Mounted on a mighty angelic being, he flew, soaring on the wings of the wind. He shrouded himself in darkness, veiling his approach with dark rain clouds. Thick clouds shielded the brightness around him and rained down hail and bursting coals. The Lord thunders from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded amid the hail and burning coals. He shoots his arrows and scatters his enemies. Great bolts of lightning flash, and they were consumed. They were confused. Then at your command, O Lord, at the blast of your breath, the bottom of the sea could be seen, and the foundations of the earth were laid bare. He reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemies, from those who hated me and were too strong for me. They attacked me at a moment when I was in distress, but the Lord supported me. He led me to a place of safety. He rescued me because he delights in me. The Lord rewarded me for doing right. He restored me because of my innocence. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not turned from my God to follow evil. I have followed all his regulations. I have never abandoned his decrees. I am blameless before God. I have kept myself from sin. The Lord rewarded me for doing right. He has seen my innocence. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To those with integrity, you show integrity. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. You rescue the humble, but you humiliate the proud. You light a lamp for me. The Lord my God lights up my darkness. In your strength, I can crush an army. With my God, I can scale any wall. God's way is perfect, and the Lord's promises prove true. He is a shield for all who look to him for protection. For who is God except the Lord? Who but our God is a solid rock? God arms me with strength, and he makes my way perfect. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, 
enabling us to stand on mountain roads, mountain heights. He trains my hands for battle. He strengthens my arm to draw a bronze bow. You have given me your shield of victory. Your right hand supports me. Your help has made me great. You have made a wide path for my feet to keep them from slipping. I chased my enemies and caught them. I did not stop until they were conquered. I struck them down so they could not get up. They, have, they fell beneath my feet. You have armed me with strength for the battle. You have subdued my enemies under my feet. You placed my foot on their necks. I have destroyed all who hated me. They called for help, but no one came to rescue them. They even cried to the Lord, but he refused to answer. I grounded them as fine as dust in the wind. I swept them into the gutter like dirt. You gave me victory over my accusers. You appointed me ruler over nations. People I don't even know now serve me. As soon as they heard of me, they submitted foreign nations. Foreign nations cringed before me. They all lose their courage and come trembling from their strongholds. The Lord lives. Praise to my rock. May the God of my salvation be exalted. He is the God who pays back those who harm me. He seduces the nations under me and rescues me from my enemies. You hold me safe beyond the reach of my enemies. You save me from violent opponents. For this is for this, O oh Lord, I will praise you among the nations. I will sing praises to your name. You give great victory to your king. You show unfailing love to your anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Psalm 48. How great is the Lord, how deserving of praise, in the city of our God, which sits on his holy mountain. It is high and magnificent, the whole earth rejoices to see it. Mount Zion, the holy mountain, in the city of the great king. God himself is in Jerusalem, towers revealing him as its defender. The kings of the earth joined forces and advanced against the city. But when they saw it, they were stunned, they were terrified, and ran away. They were gripped with terror and withered to pain like a small, like a woman to labor. You destroy them like the mighty ships of Tarshish, shuddered, shattered by a powerful east wind. We had heard of the city's glory, but now we have seen it ourselves, the city of the Lord of heaven armies. In its city of our God, he will make it safe forever. O oh God, we meditate on your unfailing love as we worship in your temple. As your name deserves, O oh God, you will be praised to the ends of the earth. Your strong right hand is filled with victory. Let the people of Mount Zion rejoice. Let all the towns of Judah be glad because of your justice. Go, inspect the city of Jerusalem, walk around and count the many towers, 
Take note of the fortified walls and tour all the citadels, that you may describe them to future generations, for that is what God is like. He is our God forever and ever. He will guide us until we die. Amen. Psalm 138. I give you thanks, O Lord. With all my heart, I will sing your praises before the gods. I bow before your holy temple as I worship. I praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness. For your promises are backed by all the honor of your name. As soon as I pray, you answer me. You encourage me by giving me strength. Every king in all the earth will thank you. Lord, for all of them will hear your words. Yes, they will sing about the Lord's ways, for the glory of the Lord is very great. Though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble, but he keeps his distance from the proud. Though I am surrounded by troubles, I will pour Protect me, you will protect me from the anger of my enemies. You reached out your hand, and the power of your right hand has saved me. The Lord will work out his plan for my life. For your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Don't abandon me, for you made me. Reading from the book of Zephaniah from the New Living Translation, Tyndale, Spiritual Renewal Bible. The commentary is called The Big Picture. If only, it is a haunting phrase. It implies that we have failed and that we wish we could go back and do things differently. As we dare to see the truth and accept responsibility for our lives, we may become sad and ashamed when our, we reflect on our past. We regret our irresponsible and destructive behaviors and wish we could erase past mistakes. This must have been how the people of Judah felt when they heard the prophetic words of Zephaniah. If only they had obeyed and trusted God. God, God called Zephaniah during the days of King Josiah, the last of Judah's good kings. The prophets, condemnation of Judah's idols worship and self-centered living fit well with the early part of Josiah's reign. When his purge against idolatry were just beginning, Zephaniah's prophetic support of these purges would certainly have bolstered Josiah's efforts. However, the apostasy of Judah's previous kings, Manasseh and Ammon, had felt deep spiritual wounds in Judah had left, and despite Zephaniah's ministry and Josiah's noble reforms, scars remained visible in Judah even at the end of his reign. The people of Judah were in need of some major changes. They had seen the northern kingdom of Israel exiled to Assyria, 
but they assumed that the presence of God in the Jerusalem temple would protect them from foreign invaders. They needed to be shocked out of their spiritual indifference. Zephaniah warned the people that Judah would be destroyed if they didn't act right away. He also let them know that spiritual renewal was still possible. Spiritual awakening could still occur if they would admit their sins and trust in God. Josiah and the people listened to Zephaniah, responded, and experienced revival. Spiritual renewal themes, the consequences of irresponsibility. Many of our troubles are directed consequences of our irresponsibility. Judah was irresponsible in her covenant relationship with God. She worshipped false gods and ignored God's laws, which were intended for her own good. But Zephaniah made it clear that their irresponsibility would carry heavy consequences. Encouraged by Zephaniah and led by Josiah, the people of Judah confessed their sins, took responsibility for their lives, and turned back to God. As a result, they received substantial healing and restoration. When we are irresponsible in our relationship with God and others, our situation will grow progressively worse. But as we learn to live responsible lives, we begin to experience the blessings of God. Complacency leads to a downfall. Prosperity and success often lead to complacency. Josiah's great-grandfather, Hezekiah, had been one of Judah's greatest kings. He had led his people back to God, and God had greatly blessed them. However, Judah's next two kings, Manasseh and Ammon, led their people into a period of spiritual complacency. And with time, the complacency led to sin and its consequences. Josiah followed in the footsteps of Hezekiah and helped lead the people back to God. Often our greatest failures follows our greatest victories. In order to prevent a downfall, we need to continually seek God and honestly reflect on our own spiritual condition. We want to have hearts that are vulnerable and dependent on God, regardless of how far we have progressed spiritually. Spiritual renewal leads to joy. The process of spiritual renewal may start out painfully. When we confess the truth of ourselves, it it can hurt. But as we begin to see the truth, speak the truth, and accept responsibility for our own lives, we discover the greatest relief and hope that God offers. As we begin to release whatever we are holding on to and redirect our course to follow God's will for us, we find joy that we can truly celebrate God's goodness as it filters into every area of our lives bringing joy where there was once only sorrow and pain. Chapter 1 of Zephaniah. It says, The Lord gave these messages to Zephaniah. When Josiah, son of Ammon, was king of Judah, Zephaniah was son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah. I will sweep away everything in all your land, says the Lord. I will sweep away both people and animals alike. Even the birds of the air and the fish of the sea will die. 
I will reduce the wicked to heaps of rubble, along with the rest of humanity, says the Lord. I will crush Judah and Jerusalem with my fist and destroy every last trace of their Baal worship. I will put an end to all their idolatrous priests, to that even the memory of them will disappear. For they will go up to their roofs and bow to the sun, moon, and stars. They claim to follow the Lord, but then they worship Molech too. So now I will destroy them, and I will destroy those who used to worship me, but now no longer do. They no longer ask for the Lord's guidance or seek my blessings. Stand in silence in the presence of the sovereign good Lord. For the awesome day of the Lord's judgment has come. The Lord has prepared his people for a great slaughter and has chosen their executioners. On that day of judgment, says the Lord, I will punish the leaders and princes of Judah and all of those following pagan customs. Yes, I will punish those who participate in pagan worship ceremonies and those who steal and kill to fill their master's homes with loot. On that day, says the Lord, a cry of alarm will come from the fish gate and echo throughout the new, newer Mishneh section of the city. And a great crashing sound will come from the surrounding hills. Wail in sorrow, all you who live in the market area, for all who buy and sell there will die. I will search with lanterns in Jerusalem, darkest corners to find and punish those who sit content in their sins, indifference to the Lord, thinking he will do nothing at all to them. They are the very ones whose property will be plundered by the enemy, whose homes will be ransacked. They will never have a chance to live in the new homes they have built. They will never drink wine from the vineyards they have planted. Note. Commentary. Through Zephaniah, God condemned the irresponsible behavior of Judah's leaders from verses 4 through 13. It says, He was probably referring to the recent reigns of Manasseh and Ammon, two of Judah's most wicked kings. During their reigns, the people of Judah had become increasingly dependent on false, false gods, had ceased to worship the true God, and had built a society in which deceitful and immoral people could prosper. The progression is clear. When we turn from the true God, our society and its members begin to deteriorate. We all need God. Unless we recognize this fact, our lives will continue on a downhill path. Verse 15. Well, 14. That terrible day of the Lord is near. Swiftly it comes. A day when strong men will cry bitterly. It is a day when the Lord's anger will be poured out. It is a day of terrible distress and anguish. A day of ruin and desolation. A day of darkness and gloom. Of clouds blackened. Trumpet calls to battle cries. Down go down the wall cities and strongest battlements. Because you have sinned against the Lord, I will make you as helpless as a blind man searching for a path. Your blood will be poured out into the dust, and your bodies will lie there, rotting on the ground. Your silver and gold will be one of no use to you on that day of the Lord's anger, for the whole land will be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. He will make a terrifying 
in of all the people on earth. Verses 14 through 18, commentary. The prophet warned of the coming day of the Lord, a day of reckoning with God. At that time, Judah would be conquered and her people led away as slaves to Babylon. God mercifully offered his people numerous chances to repent. But there would come a time when judgment would fall. We should be thankful that God would not allow us to reject his way forever. When we do things our way, we only hurt ourselves and the people we love. If we listen to the early warnings we receive and act appropriately, we need not fear a future day of reckoning. A Call to Repentance, Chapter 2. The purpose of God's judgment was to encourage the people of Judah. Verses 1 through 3, 1, 2, and 3, commentary. The purpose of God's judgment was to encourage the people of Judah to depend on him. The prophet called the people to repent, hoping they would be spared the coming devastation. The people responded favorably to Zephaniah's message, and King Josiah led them in a great reformation. This led to the last high point in Judah's history. Though the day of reckoning did come, it was delayed for several generations. Like the people of Zephaniah's day, let us respond to the warnings we receive, admitting our failures and asking God to help us. Reading of verses of chapter 2. Gather together and pray, you shameless nation. Gather while there is still time. Before judgment begins and your opportunity is blown away like shaft. Act now before the fiercy fury of the Lord falls and the terrible day of the Lord's anger begins. Beg the Lord to save you. All you who are humble, all you who uphold justice, walk humbly and do what is right. Perhaps even yet the Lord will protect you from his anger on the day of destruction. Judgment against Philistia. Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ekron, these Philistine cities too will be rooted out and left in desolation. And how terrible it will be for you, Philistines, who live along the coast in the land of Canaan. For this judgment is against you too. The Lord will destroy you until not one of you is left. The coastal area will become a pasture, a place of shepherd camps and closures for sheep. The few survivors of the tribe of Judah will pasture there. They will lie down to rest in the abandoned houses in Ashkelon. For the Lord their God will visit his people in kindness and restore their prosperity again. Judgment against Moab and Ammon. I have heard the taunts of the people of Moab and Ammon mocking my people and invading their borders. Now, as surely as I live, says the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, Moab and Ammon will be destroyed as completely as Sodom and Gomorrah. Their land will become a place of stinging nettles, salt pits, and eternal desolation. Those of my people who are left will plunder them and take their land. They will receive the wages of their pride, 
for they have scoffed at the people of the Lord Almighty. The Lord will terrify them as he destroyed all the gods in the land. Then people from nations around the world will worship the Lord, each in their own land. You Ethiopians, judgment against Ethiopia and Assyria will also be slattered by the sword, says the Lord. And the Lord will strike the lands of the north with his fist. He will destroy Assyria and make its great capital, Nineveh, a desolated wasteland, parched like a desert. The city that once was proud will become a pasture for sheep and cattle. All sorts of wild animals will settle there. Owls of many kinds will live among the ruins of its palaces, hooting from the gapping windows. Rubble will block all the doorways, and the cedar paneling will lie open to the wind and weather. This is the fate of that boistering city, once so secure. In all the world, there is no city as great as I, it boasted. But now, look how it has become an utter ruin, a place where animals live. Everyone passing that way will laugh in derision or shake a defiant feast. Fist, not feast. The purpose of God's judgment, uh, note, commentary. The purpose of God's judgment was to encourage the people of Judah to depend on him. The prophet called the people to repent, hoping they would be spared the coming devastation. The people responded favorably to Zephaniah's message, and King Josiah led them in great reformation. This led to the last high point in Judah's history. Through the day of reckoning did come, it was delayed for several generations. Like the people of Zephaniah's day, let us respond to the warnings we receive, admitting our failures and asking God to help us. Zephaniah listed the nations that had influenced Judah in their idolatrous practices. These nations would come under God's judgment and lose their corrupting influence. God gives us great potential to influence others for good. However, we often end up leading others in the wrong direction. Taking responsibility for those we have led astray in some way is part of accepting responsibility for our lives. It may be one of our children's or perhaps a friend or co-worker. Part of making restitution with such peoples is doing what we can to get them back on the right track. Chapter 3. Jerusalem's Rebellion and Redemption. How terrible it will be for rebellious people polluted in Jerusalem, the city of violence and crime. It probably refuses to listen even to the voice of the Lord. No one can tell it anything. It refuses all correction. It does not trust in the Lord or draw near to its God. Its leaders are like roaring lions hunting for their victims, out for everything they can get. His judges are like ravenous wolves at evening time, whose by dawn have left no trace to their prey. His prophets are arrogant liars seeking their own gain. His priests defile the temple by disobeying God's law. 
But the Lord is still there in the city, and he does no wrong. Day by day, his justice is more evident. But no one takes notice, though wicked, no, no shame. Note, the destruction behavior of Judah's people through influence by other nations was ultimately her responsibility. The people... <laughs> Excuse me. The people refused to admit their sins to God. Instead, they rejected all of his attempts of warning and correction. We all have been influenced negatively by others, but pointing the finger at them will slow our spiritual progress. They are responsible for dealing with their problems. We are responsible for our own. As we take responsibility for our actions, Recognizing how much we need God, we will be able to redirect the course of our lives. If we continue to blame others for our problems, we are headed for destruction. Verse 5. <laughs> Excuse me. But the Lord is still there in the city, and he does no wrong. Day by day, his justice is more evident. But no one takes notice. The wicked know no shame. I have wiped out many nations, devastating their fortress walls and towers. Their cities are now deserted. Their streets are in silent ruin. There is no survivors to even tell what happened. I thought surely they will have Reverence for me now. Surely they will listen to my warning, so I will need to strike again. But no, however much I punish them, they continue their evil practices from dawn till dusk and dusk till dawn. So now the Lord says, be patient. The time is coming soon when I will stand up and accuse those evil nations. For it is my decision to gather together the kingdom of the earth and pour out my fierce anger and fury on them. All the earth will be devoured by the fire of my jealousy. On that day, I will purify the lips of all people so that everyone will be able to worship the Lord together. My scattered people who live beyond the rivers of Ethiopia will come to prevent their offerings. And then you will no longer need to be ashamed of yourselves. For you will no longer be rebels against me. I will remove all the people and arrogant people from among you. There will be no pride on my holy mountain. Those who are left will be the lowly and the humble. For it is they who trust in the name of the Lord. The people of Israel who survive will do no wrong to each other. Never telling lies or deceiving one another. They will live peaceful lives, lying down to sleep in safety. There will be no one to make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout out loud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughters of Jerusalem. For the Lord will remove his hand of judgment and will disperse the armies of your enemies. And the Lord himself, the King of Israel, will live among you. At last your troubles will be over and you will fear disaster no more. On that day, the announcement to Jerusalem will be, Cheer up, Zion, don't be afraid, 
For the Lord your God has arrived to live among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will rejoice over you with great gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will exult over you by singing a happy song. I will gather you who mourn for the appointed festival. You will be disgraced no more. And I will deal favorably, I will deal severely with all those who have oppressed you. I will save the weak and helpless one. I will bring together those who chased away, were chased away. I will give glory and renown to my former exiles who have been mocked and shamed. On that day, I will gather you together and bring you home again. I will give you a good name, a name of distinction among the nations of the earth. They will praise you as I restore your fortunes before their very eyes. I, the Lord, have spoken. Note, from verses 9 to 20, Sephaniah describe a future age that will follow the ultimate day of the Lord. This will be an age of blessing marked by honest and pure worship of God. Souls and burdens will no longer exist, and the nation of Israel will finally be restored to its land of hope and security. We can rejoice in the great promise for God's people. Note, the, uh, the Lord Jesus came and changed people's hearts for the Lord has arrived, God, the Lord your God has arrived to live among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will rejoice over you with gladness, great gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will exult over you by singing a happy song. Okay, that is the key for us to access the power and the love and the enthusiasm of Jesus Christ, our King and our God, the one Israel was waiting for, has come and his presence among us. And how do we do it? We sing a song of victory, and he is in that song, and singing a happy song. With his love, we will calm all our fears. We can sing to the Lord Jesus by saying, I thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you for all things. I thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you for all things. You can have the Christmas melody with it. I thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you for all things, just as the way they are. And then he'll take care of the rest. Nothing missing, nothing broken. We have activated shalom for nothing missing, nothing broken. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. New Living Testament, the book of Luke. 
the big picture. Tradition holds that Luke was a physician as well as a historian. He wrote about Jesus as a man who cared greatly for suffering and downtrodden people. A man who brought healing to the hurting. In the genealogy of Jesus, Luke traced Jesus' human ancestry back to Adam, the father of the human race, and Luke's stories about Jesus focus on his relationship with individual people. Jesus paid special attention to people who were often ignored in society, women, children, the poor, prostitutes, despised tax collectors, and sinners and drunkards of every sort. Jesus offered salvation, strength, and restoration to everyone he met. But his greatest concern was for the outcasts of society. Luke stressed the humanity and compassion of Jesus more than any of the other Gospels writers did. His narrative made it clear that God, through his son Jesus, reached out into love to the unlovable of our world. Ever since Adam and Eve's first sin in the Garden of Eden, God had passionately desired and pursued the restoration of broken people. His love and concern for us are unstoppable. As we dare to see the truth, many of us discover just how terrible and destructive our mistakes have been. As we seek God and ask Him to eliminate any areas of sin within us, we may begin to see how sinful and broken we really are. We may wonder whether there is any hope for us. How could God care for us when we fall so far short of His perfect will for us? In reading the Gospels of Luke, we can gain hope from the compassion God showed towards people who were a lot like us. God wants to show us how much He loves us, regardless of our mistakes in the past or how far we fall short of His perfect will. Spiritual Renewal Themes Jesus Loves the Outcast Jesus paid special attention to the poor, the despised, the hurt, and the sinful. He rejected no one. He ignored no one. And no one today is beyond the scope of his love or beyond his ability to help, including us. He cares for us no matter what we have done, what we have failed to do, what we have suffered, or what suffering we have inflicted on others. Only this kind of deep love can satisfy our deepest needs and draw us towards God Himself. When we are faced with our weakness, we may feel that no one can understand or care. Luke showed us that God both understands and cares. We can safely surrender our lives to Him. Again, we can safely surrender our lives to Him. The Power of the Resurrection Paul wrote to the Philistines and rejoiced that he could really know Christ and experience his mighty power that raised him from the dead, Philippians 3.10. Like the other gospel writers, Luke showed in detail and the events surrounding the death and resurrection of Jesus. There is no greater example of God's power at work than that which can bring the dead back to life again. God specializes in demonstrating the kind of power 
as we experience his work within us. With God, nothing is too difficult. God's passion for our spiritual renewal. God cares about our spiritual renewal even more than we do. That's how much he loves and cares for us. Jesus showed this by revealing his intense interest in people and relationships. He cared for his followers and friends. He was interested in all types of people, men, women, children. His concern transcended all barriers and extended to any and all that he met. He longed to see people spiritually alive, growing and fruitful. As we come to know him and share his heart, we experience his passion for our spiritual renewal. He died that we might live. The Power of the Holy Spirit Jesus lived his life in complete dependence on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was present at the birth of Jesus, at his baptism, in his ministry, and in his resurrection. The Holy Spirit was sent by the Father to confirm Jesus' authority. Today, the Holy Spirit is given to empower us to live as God wants us to live. By faith, we can have the Holy Spirit's presence and power within us. The key verse for the book of Luke is Jesus responded. Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a son of Abraham, and I, the son of man, who come to seek and save those like him who are lost. Chapter 19, verses 9 through 10. The purpose of this book, of the book of Luke, is to confirm the historical record of the life of Jesus Christ, whose universal message offers hope and salvation to all who turn to him. The author was Luke the Physicians. Introduction, chapter 1 of Luke. Luke writes, Most honorable Theophilus, many people have written accounts about the events that took place among us. They use as their source material the reports circulating among us from the early disciples and other eyewitnesses of God, what God has done in fulfillment of his promises. Having carefully investigated all of these accounts from the beginning... I have decided to write a careful summary for you to reassure you of the truth of all you were taught. The birth of John the Baptist foretold. It all begins with a Jewish priest, Zechariah, who lived when Herod was king of Judah. Zechariah was a member of the priestly order of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commands and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and now they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by law to enter the sanctuary and burn incense in the Lord's presence. 
While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. Zechariah was in the sanctuary when an angel of the Lord appeared standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was overwhelmed with fear, but the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for God has heard your prayer, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to name him John. You will be, you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice with you at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or hard liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his before his birth. And he will persuade many Israelites to turn to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah, the prophet of old. He will precede the coming of the Lord, preparing the people for his arrival. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will change disobedient minds to accept godly wisdom. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I know this will happen? I am an old man now. And my wife is also well along in years. The angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. And now, since you didn't believe what I said, you won't be able to speak until the child is born. For my word will certainly come true at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures that he must have sent a vision in the temple sanctuary. He stayed at the temple until his term of service was over, and then he returned home. Soon afterwards, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Note, commentary. And the preface, Luke testified that the gospel of Jesus is based on historical fact and not on theories or myths. Speculating religion, secular philosophies, or political leaders do not meet the deepest needs of the human heart. History is filled with people who aspire to be gods. But only one was truly God. Jesus alone can meet our deepest needs. Those Zechariah and Elizabeth were godly people. They were childish, and Elizabeth was well past normal childbearing years. The situation was discouraging, even depressing, as many couples in our society can testify. To make matters worse, in their culture, childlessness was typically taken as a sign of God's curse or displeasure. Zechariah and Elizabeth were faithful in trusting God, even though God seemed to be against them. This was a key to the blessing they received later on. 
Their example of patient perseverance is a good example for those of us who seek to grow spiritually. Now, John the Baptist's ministry was one that would turn the hearts of parents to their children, Malachi 4, 5, and 6. His message called for personal repentance and the restoration of broken family relationships, even though the complete fulfillment of these words is still in the future. The principle has always been true. When God is at work, even resistant hearts can be softened and families restored. As godly as Zechariah was, he still could not believe the angel Gabriel's promise. From a natural frame of reference, it seemed totally impossible that he and Elizabeth could conceive a child in their old age. The consequences of even this short-term unbelief was substantial and tragic. Zechariah could not speak throughout the term of Elizabeth's miraculous pregnancy. Unbelief can have a numbling effect on our spiritual progress as well. Confession of faith before God and others by lips and life, as Zechariah was eventually able to do will help our faith to grow. Honestly, admitting our doubts is a good place to start. The birth of Jesus foretold, verse 26 of chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be frightened, Mary, the angel told her, for God has decided to bless you. You will become pregnant and have a son. And you are to name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, But how? How can I have a baby? I am a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born to you will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's already in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant, and I am willing to accept whatever he wants. May everything you have said come true. And the angel left. Mary visits Elizabeth. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greetings, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, You are blessed by God above all other women, and your child is blessed. What an honor this is, that the mother of my Lord should visit me. When you came in and greeted me, my baby jumped for joy the instant I heard your voice. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord will do what he said. The Magnificent is Mary's song of praise. Mary responded, Oh, how I praise the Lord, how I rejoice in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and now generation after generation will call me blessed. For he, the Mighty One, is holy, and he has done great things for me. His mercy goes on from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm does tremendous things, how he scatters the proud and haughty ones. He has taken princes from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. And how he has helped his servant Israel. He has not forgotten his promise to be merciful, for he promised our ancestors, Abraham and his children, to be merciful to them forever. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then went back to her own home. These words from Mary's song, note, reflect God's priorities standing in stark contrast to the way our world thinks. How important it is when life seems unfair and does not turn out the way we might have chosen. To realize that God's ways are often not our ways, True greatness is not measured by human success and achievements, but by the depth of our sincere humility. The Birth of John the Baptist Now it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, and it was a boy. The word spread quickly to her neighbors and relatives that the Lord had been very kind to her, and everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, all the relatives and friends came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, no, his name is John. What? they exclaimed. Who? There is no one in your all your family by the name. So they asked the baby's father, communicating to him by making gestures. He motioned for a writing tablet. And to everyone's surprise, he wrote, His name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. Wonder fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what had happened spread through all the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on those events and asked, I wonder what this child will turn out to be, for the hand of the Lord is surely upon him, 
in a special way. Zechariah's prophecy. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited his people and redeemed them. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant with them. The covenant he gave our ancestors, Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear. In holiness and righteousness forever. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercies, the light from heaven is about to break upon us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. John grew up and became strong in spirit. Then he lived out in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. Note. Here, Jesus Christ is portrayed as light shining on those living in darkness. Hearing their, this metaphor, the original readers would probably have thought of a group of travelers overtaken by darkness who were left in danger by the roadside all night. Such people helpless to defend themselves against the attack of robbers would be have welcomed the light of the rising sun. This is a picture of what Jesus could do for any one of us who are in the darkness of sin. We move from darkness into the light as we receive God's gift of forgiveness and make a personal commitment to Him. As we experience new hope in Jesus, we can tell others about the light we have seen. Now, a commentary about Elizabeth and Zechariah. Many couples who long for children are unable to have them. Often their attempt to conceive a child go on for a very long time. And each month passes, they go through a painful progression from hope to fear to terrible disappointment. And as their years roll by, all their lingering hopes disappear. They are left with sort of an empty resignation. This is what it was like for Elizabeth and Zechariah. Their desire for children had not been fulfilled, and they concluded that they would remain childish for the rest of their lives. But suddenly life changed for them. While serving in the Jerusalem temple, Zechariah was visited by an angel who announced that Zechariah and Elizabeth will have a son. He was to be called John and would become the forerunner of the Messiah. Understandably shocked, Zechariah doubted the words of the angel because of his unbelief. He was rendered speechless until the child's birth. When Elizabeth heard the news, she believed the angel's message and was excited about her forthcoming pregnancy. 
She indeed became pregnant and in her sixth month was visited by her cousin, Mary, who was pregnant with the child of Jesus. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth praised Mary's faith. When Elizabeth's baby was born, Zechariah, who still could not speak, wrote down the name the angel had given him, John. At that point, God restored his voice. With his first joyful words, Zechariah praised God for the great gift of a son and for God's intimate concern with their pain. Whether God blesses the children with a child or the helpless with his powerful presence, we see from the lives of Elizabeth and Zechariah that God is intimately involved in our pain and that he desires to fill the empty places in our lives. Strength and Accomplishments Zechariah and Elizabeth were known as godly people. Zechariah overcame his doubt and practiced God, praised God for his power. Excuse me. Zechariah obeyed the angel and named his son John. Zechariah was initially doubted God's ability to give them a child in their older years. God is fully aware of the painful disappointments of childish people. God is intimately aware of the pain of hurting people. All things are possible with God. God can use older people to make significant contributions to his plan. The key verse, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commands, commands and regulations, Luke 1.6. Now, the reader uh, uh, where it says that all things are possible with God so how to access all things are possible with God giving thanks to God for the problem will take you from different stages first from a From an attempt of faith, you will praise God for the problem, that I can handle this problem. No. Then after your own commitment, initiation of, uh, of approach to thanking God, say for instance, you can't have children. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I know someday you'll do. After that period is over and you exhaust your thanking God, you make a commitment to keep thanking God that all things are possible with him. And then you become angry that you have to thank God for this. You have to work at it. In yourself, you become, your flesh becomes angry. And then after you keep thanking God because you made the initial commitment to keep thanking God, you surrender. And then as you surrender a little bit, you become self-pitying and hurt. Why do you have to thank God for so long for this problem. Your emotions will be that of self-pitying, poor me. After that period is over with and we grow up some, we continue to thank God for the problem, say childish, not childish, childless couple. And you keep thanking God and then you get to a point 
that you don't see any children and you don't see any progress. And then you say to God, God, I'm going to thank you for this if you want me to thank you for the rest of my life. Bing. That's when all things are possible with God. That's how we successfully have, have followed his ordinations, his commandments, his precepts, and that's formula that I have just mentioned. That is my personal opinion and experience that after you thank him and you surrender and you make a commitment to thank him for the rest of your life, if you have babies or not have babies, and then the miracle of God takes place. A reward will come. Either you'll have a child or you'll have a foster child, someone who has, whose spirit inside you says, that's my son, that's my daughter. But a reward will come for your faith and your actions to your faith. Praising the Lord is the key to all emotional distress. The reader, Fernando, thanks you for listening. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Blessings to you, family of God. best eight years of my life um, you know I don't know how I'd get by without the support of everybody in this program and for me it was the people in the program that really had the biggest effect on me initially when I walked in I remember the first meeting I went to uh, I walked into a room full of people that shook my hand and smiled and greeted me and uh, you know it was it, it was I had no idea what to expect in an AA meeting but it really surprised the heck out of me and made me want to keep coming back I mean I did the 90 and 90 thing probably did a lot more than that but uh, it was a real eye-opener but the friendships that you develop in this program are probably as strong as any friendship you ever make in your life. And like I said, that's what really, uh, that's what really struck me about this program when I first came here. And since then I've made friends with a lot of people. Uh, you know, we're non-judgmental. We accept people for who and what they are and we don't, uh, we don't talk about them behind their backs or try to judge them when, uh, you know, something doesn't go quite right. But, uh, you know, I just, 
more than anything, like I said, is, is the people I've met in this program. But the program's been really good to me. Um, I think the obsession got lifted almost immediately for me, which was kind of a nice thing. I'm gonna let these guys go by real quick. <laughs> <clears throat> Something ain't good. But you know, it's been tough, uh, especially with the COVID situation. Thank God, you know, this park meeting has been going on the entire time because it's been the one place you could go and hang out with people and, you know, not be concerned about, uh, you know, your, your situation. And, uh, you know, you can maintain your sobriety, keep going to your meetings and, uh, you know, you're outdoors. So you don't have to worry so much about being masked or any of that good stuff. Anyway, it's been good for me and uh, hopefully good for all of you. And, you know, by having the meetings and by getting together like this, you know, we, we, we have continuity that I'm guessing there's a lot of alcoholics right now that are just in a bind because they don't know where to go or what to do in terms of getting to meetings and working their programs but we've been real lucky here thank god you know we've got the weather we've got in southern california that helps a lot too but uh i'm just going to keep working it and keep meeting more and more wonderful people and uh hopefully maintain my sobriety till the end of my days Anyway, thanks. Thank you. Is Jerry here? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're uh, you're our uh, <laughs> our proper speaker, right? <laughs> I don't know about that. How you doing? Pleased nice to meet you. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Hi, everybody. Uh, you can pull it out, Jerry. Uh, yeah. I'm Jerry, I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Jerry. Thanks for uh, asking me to come here. I apologize for being late. It took me nearly 40 minutes to come from Arcadia. Um, and I was saying to myself in the car, God, if you want me to be on time, will you get, get this traffic to move? Um, I am an alcoholic and it's a privilege to be here. Um, Les asked me to come here. I've known Les a long time. My surprise did. My sobriety date is November 1st, 1990. Um, I was kind of young when I got here, um, but I was such a mess that my drinking career was not very long. My drinking career was a lot shorter than my sobriety. And, but I got into so much trouble so fast um, that this was the last house in the block for me. Um, just give you a brief what it was like, what it happened and what it's like now. Um, I grew up in Ireland and um, you could probably, I, I remember 16, 15, 16 going into the pubs and drinking and as long as you sat quiet and didn't cause trouble and someone else would buy your pint for you, you could, they wouldn't hassle you. You could freely drink at 16 in the pubs. And, 
and it wasn't a big deal and everybody did it so but as long as you sat quiet and kept your mouth shut you'd be okay and um you know the very first time i took a drink the very first time i was drunk i crossed that line i that's why i had such a short drinking career because i was an alcoholic from the word go there was no took me years and years it took me minutes and and until the day i got sober i drank alcoholically i drank every single day and towards the very end it was miserable i didn't go to sleep and i didn't wake up i passed out and i came to um i was such a bad drunk when i was a kid i dreamed of having a job and this is the gospel truth i dreamed of having a job in the sport and the profession i was in and i got that job because i was good at what i did and i got the job that i dreamed about as a kid but i was such a bad alcoholic that i pissed it away um and i couldn't be I couldn't believe I got the job and I couldn't believe I was pissing it away and I couldn't help myself and I was a kid at the time and you know if, if I only had a chance to go back but we can't go back and, and um, I wouldn't want to go back because I've I've earned this seat here I've I've done every stupid thing I've done in life to earn this seat and, I'm, and um, you know I'm going to hold on to it um, I had some great jobs in Ireland and England um, and pissed them all away jobs that guys most of us alcoholics are very gifted guys, otherwise we couldn't have survived the destruction we did to ourselves. And that's why, you know, I think we are a gifted bunch. But I got good jobs because I was good at what I did, but I just, I couldn't help myself. I was just so self-destructive. And so by the time I was, I think 21 or 22, I'd, I'd left, I went from Ireland to England and I'd left England and, and uh, I'd gotten two DUIs in England. It was four or five when I was drinking one night and I, I crashed a car and I nearly killed everyone in it and I got my second DUI and they put me off the road for three years in England. So they said, you cannot get behind the steering wheel for three years. So, and the occupation I had at the time, that couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't afford to pay a driver and I couldn't afford not to be able to drive. So I remember I came to LA on vacation and I thought, that's it, I'm going home and I'm going to sell everything. So I literally went home and I sold everything. And then I spent the summer in Canada and I sneaked down across the border in Buffalo, illegally, and into the United States. And um, my first six months in this country was just a blur because this is where I go from being a bad drunk to being a really bad, bad alcoholic, drinking alcoholically every day. I wasn't living, I was just, uh, I, I was just working to survive. And um, you get to a stage where no matter how much you drink, you, you can't get drunk and you can't kill the pain, but you keep doing it and doing it. And you get up every morning and you swear, I'm not going to do this again. I am not going to do this to myself again. And 10 o'clock in the morning after I finished work, I was doing the same thing again and again and again. And the consequences were getting worse. Getting to a stage where, you know, I had a laundry list of shit. I was illegal. I was nearly unemployable. I was dating a girl who was as crazy as I was. Um, I had no car, no insurance, no money. Family didn't want to know me. Um, and any other bad thing I'm leaving out, I had. And, and I got to a stage where I knew I couldn't go on anymore. And, and, 
and I couldn't believe that I'd fallen this far. I really couldn't believe I, I how could such a smart guy like me end up being a piss in the pants alcoholic? No one wanted to be around and nobody wanted to give a job to and nobody wanted to uh, talk to. And um, that's what it took for me. I'd lost everything. And that's what it takes for someone like me to get sober. Uh, because if I had a car or a house or something else left, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have gotten sober. I would have went through that first. So um, I got down on my knees. I said, God, you know, you've you got to help me. You've got to help me. Uh, I can't do this anymore. And I went straight to it at the time. God, I sound old, but there was no internet. There was no cell phones. Uh, and I went to the Yellow Pages and I found an AA. And I called the number and they said, there's a meeting in Pasadena on Foothill Boulevard. It's closed now a long time ago. So I went to that. I went, the truth is I went to go to the meeting and I was so embarrassed to think, what if somebody recognized me? Now the whole world knew I was a fucking, a fucking idiot and a drunk and not the type of guy you bring back to a place the second time. And um, so I didn't go in because I was embarrassed that somebody might recognize me. So I went drinking again. And then the next night I went in and for the first time in my life, I knew the very first day I got to AA that it was for me. Very first meeting because guys told the truth and I related to people, people who drank like me and behaved like me when they got drunk. And I thought, okay, I'm home. I've, at last, I didn't know you guys, but I knew I knew I wasn't alone. That was the main thing, and I knew I'd, I'd hope. And um, I stayed sober, sober for about 10 days, and then I went back out, and I got very bad very fast. And that's when it scared the shit out of me. I knew it. if I don't kill myself, someone else is. I'm going to end up in jail. And I remember my sponsor, my sponsor, Randy, said to me, he said, Jerry, you are not going to look good in Folsom. You are not going to look good in Folsom, buddy, running around in a dress, because they will, that scared the shit out of me. He said, you know, you, you do not want to go to jail. So, um, I, you know, I went back to AA, beaten up this time. Literally, when the big book talks about incomprehensible demoralization, I nod my head, because I know what it feels like, and I know what it is. And um, 1st of November 1990, I went to a meeting in Sierra Madre, and by the grace of God, I've been sober since. And um, But I'm leaving out a whole lot of drunk log. I'm leaving out a whole lot of misery and pain and everything that it took for me to realize that I am an alcoholic. And I knew I was a bad drunk before. Before I ever came to this country, I knew it was, I was a drunk, but I didn't know where to get help. But when I got here, I, I used to see it on TV. And I said, okay, someday I'll go there. And then the someday came. Um, when I got here, I, you know, when I got here, I didn't know whether I felt worse inside or out. That's the best way I can describe it. I was bankrupt in every, every area of my life. I was a liar. I was a cheat. I was a thief. I was selfish. If there wasn't in it for me, I'm not helping you. And if I helped you, if I gave you five, I wanted 10 back at least. Um, and the funny thing is I wasn't raised like that. I have a brother and sister who don't need a program to behave themselves. <laughs> I don't know why they drink, but they don't drink like me. I don't know why, but I need a program and I need it today as much as ever because today I have the resources to really kill myself very fast. Um, 
but I have a brother and sister who, who drink normally and they behave normally and they don't need a program to tell them not to do this, the next wrong thing and I do um, I got a sponsor most important thing if anybody's out there new or kind of new you got to get a sponsor and you got to do the steps whether you like it or not if you don't do them this time you'll come back in a couple of years time the shit beating out of you and then you will do them if you come back at all if you, you know some guys don't make it back um, so I got a sponsor and he sat me down and he said we're going to do the steps and we're going to do step one and you're going to read the big book first 136 pages and you're going to get to 12 and 12 and you're going to read the first the first step in that and then you're going to write and you're going to write and you're going to write until you're sick of writing and that's what we did so we did the first step and then we did the second step we did the same thing and he wouldn't rush it and he said you call me every night 7 30 and i don't want to hear your bullshit you couldn't find a quarter or you couldn't find a phone just do it don't expect money off me don't you lie to me I'm not working with you. He says, when you go to a meeting, he says, I don't want you taking up everybody's time whining about your ex-girlfriend and this and that and just going on and on and on. He says, these people take time out of their day to, to get sober and, and, and to be here. And that's why I think I have very little patience with people who ramble in meetings. It just drives me crazy. And sometimes I just, but you know, uh, I've learned not to judge people in this program. Um, and I'm so grateful to that man because he took me through the steps. Um, we did the first three, you know. My life was uncontrollable. I had no control over it. Powerless over alcohol. I knew I was because, and I don't know why it is today, but I'm assured today after 31 years as I was when I got sober Halloween back when, that if I take one drink, I swear to God, I don't know where I'll end. And that's, 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 that's a sad state of affairs. I could end up anywhere. You'd probably be in jail, but, or killing some kid in my car. But when I take that first drink, and it's been a while since I've had a drink, but I know deep down to my inner, inner core that I can't stop. I'm just, I've tried every imaginable remedy, white wine, red wine, beer, light beer, dark beer, every effing beer, gin, tonic, scotch, rum, can't stop. Once I start, I can't stop. There is no off button for me. And if you drink like me, I mean, you know, um, and you know, the toughest steps for me were the fourth and fifth because I'd never in my life been accountable to anyone. I'd never told the truth. If you asked me a question, there was no way I said, you know what, I don't know, but I'll try and find. I had the answer to everything, and I was just full of shit. Everybody knew I was full of shit. I knew I was full of shit. But in the fourth step, we sat down, and he made me do the fourth and the fifth step, and they are the most important for me, and the toughest. The fifth step was the toughest because I knew the fourth step I could do because I, I knew deep down what I'd done and the people I fucked over and every wrong thing I'd done. But the fifth step was sitting down and admitting it to another human being. And I did some stuff that I thought that was coming to the grave with me. There was no way I'm telling anyone. But it, it was almost like a toothache. I'd come to a stage where I knew I was either. That's why I tell the guys I sponsor, you got to do a fourth and fifth step. If you don't do it with me, you do it with someone. Because if you don't clean the garbage out from the inside out, you will, you will drink again. 
Some of the guys I sponsor when I say we do the fourth day shy away, they're gone. Um, so I made the appointment and I did the fourth step and sat down with him. We did the fifth step and, and uh, I was so scared of doing it. I said, you know what? I have two fifth steps. I'll do the nice easy one if and I feel comfortable with him. Then I'll dig a bit deeper and I'll tell him the truth about every shitty thing I've done. And, and that's what I did. And, and I wish I said I'd have bought a lightning that made me feel great the next day. And But it wasn't. But it, things did improve eventually. And, and I did feel better about myself. And, and, you know, this program has done for me what my parents couldn't do or a shrink couldn't do or the teachers couldn't do or bosses couldn't do. It's given me a great life. Um, you know, in early sobriety, I don't know, I maybe two or three years and I... You know, you, you get two or three years and you think you know everything, but then you get 10 years and you realize how little you knew it when you were two and three years sober. And I remember me and Les used to go down to Skid Row, got his years ago, and we'd bring boxes of donuts down to Skid Row. And uh, I remember I used to look at Les and he had more time than me. And I knew myself, man, if he's got that much time, what the, what's he doing doing this shit for? Now that you get further down the road, you realize that that's the kind of stuff that, that gives you long-term sobriety, that gives you rewards. When you give, you get. And I think it was a Wednesday night, we'd go down to, every Wednesday night, we'd go down to Skid Row, and we'd bring boxes of donuts, and, you know, you think you're having a bad day, you should go down to Skid Row, and you'll see what a bad day is all about. And then I remember this girl who'd come up, and Leslie, he was so kind to her, and she'd come up, and she'd be shaking and hugging, and she'd be covered in, you can only imagine what she's covered in. And, you know, Les was so nice to her, and, and, and it taught me that then I could be nice to her, you know? Because I went down there with this, you know, just attitude of, well, I'm better than them, but I'm not, I'm not. But for the grace of God, I'm down there with them. If I didn't get help, but I wouldn't have been tough enough because I wasn't going to live that long. And I knew I wasn't going to live that long. And that's why I got scared into AA. You know, and the miracle of A is not a burning bush or turning water into wine. It's that a guy like me can get that amount of time. Because when I got here, I had no idea what I, I, I'd know, I, I didn't know up from down. I had no idea what I wanted. I, I just knew that I couldn't go on. And if the gifts that I've been given in this program are just immense. You know, today I'm, I'm self-employed. I'm, I'm a US citizen. I've got two beautiful daughters who never see their dad drunk, I hope. Who think, who think the sun sh shines out of my ass and you know they I am glad that they will never have to look at me and drop their heads and think oh Jesus Christ what's he going to do now because I would be so they would have been ashamed of their father if they had to see me when I was drinking they would have been they wouldn't want to have been around me and they would have looked at me with, 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 remote, with just pure disgust if they saw the person I was who came into this program all that you know 30 years ago or whatever um, but today it's, it's you know I very very rarely think about drinking very rarely the last time I was about a couple of years ago when I thought of having a drink one day outside a gas station and I knew now nah, it's, it's just not going to work um, but I do I do have to help others my primary purpose now is to help the next uh, to pull the next guy through because there was someone there to pull me off the ground and help me and whenever I was going through and 
There was always someone there at the other end of the phone. And for that, I'm grateful. And I've been overpaid in this program. You know, um, I go home to Ireland and England and I see my brother and he says to me, he says, that's great. He says, you haven't had, he says, can you not have one? And I said, do you remember the last time I had one? I was at your wedding and you said to me, the sooner you get back on that fucking plane, the better. I was his best man at the wedding. And I tried to sleep with a bookie's wife. And he says to me, Jesus Christ, you, you, you just cause so much trouble wherever you go. And he says to me, I'm just glad you're going back to America tomorrow. And I said, that was the last time I drank. I was at your wedding with you. And that's what you said to me. He says, well, I know, but he says, it's been a long time. I said, no, you don't understand. It doesn't matter how long it's been. And I'd be worse than ever now. Um, um, so, you know, very rarely think of drinking, but you know, my sponsor gave me many, many things. He would, he would say to me, you know, you can live your way into proper thinking, but you can't think your way into proper living. And I was so cloudy and messed up, I couldn't figure it out. He says, you can live your way into proper thinking. If you just come here, if you help another alcoholic, if you start writing, if you start doing the steps, you will get this and it will work for you and it'll give you a great life. But you can sit at home all day and say, I'm going to do it tomorrow. You can't think your way into proper living. You've got to live your way. It doesn't work if you think about it. you just got to do it. you just got to show up. Um, uh, you know, the t toughest years in, 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 in my sobriety have been the last three or four. Three years ago, I sp split with my ex, and um, which is fine. I don't mean to be a bully, but I... I or a, beat my chest but I didn't care I really didn't care I was kind of glad it was done oh two beautiful girls two beautiful children um, and we got in a very very contentious court case now the kids you know they spent 70% of their time with me I won't bore you with this story but if you have kids you'll understand so we went to court and you know at the time I'm making six figures I'm fully in two jobs I've medical dental at the time, I had 28 years of sobriety, and I thought to myself, how can I lose? How can I lose? And the child shrinks sided with the mother. Now, she's a very good mother. I'm lucky that way, and she was a good high earner. And, but they sided with her, and children moved to Chicago. And I was beyond devastated. It was the lowest point in my life, apart from, apart from anything else. It was the lowest point, and I walked out of the the courthouse in Pasadena, August 18, 2018. And I just wanted to die. I was dressed like a millionaire, with a suit on me, a shirt and tie, and I was, and I walked out and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm walking out and I was just numb. And I'll never forget that day. Um, I didn't want to drink, but I just wanted to die. I just thought, you know, how, how could this happen? How could this happen? Um, and I'm walking up the street and I just kept walking. I didn't know where I was going or what I was doing. And, and just started calling people in the program. I wouldn't have made it only for the guys in the program, you know. A week later, um, my mother passed away. And then, so now, I've lost my kids and I've lost my mother in the space of 10 days. And I, I'm a runner, so to deal with this, I started, you know, I, I used to run and, and uh, 10, 
14 days after that, then I'm running in Pasadena with a group and I'm leading a group of runners and my, my leg snapped, my femur snapped. Bone was weak. Anyway, so, you know, all this comes down and, um, you know, how do we handle this? I thought, I, I, how, am I, how am I gonna do this every day? How the fuck am I gonna get through this? My kids are gone, my mother's passed away and uh, I'm sat here on a, with a broken leg and crutches and uh, just one day at a time, I called people in the program and I was in a, I didn't know what it was like to be depressed but now I do know what it's like to be depressed and uh, you know, just, just one day at a time, I went to meetings, I prayed. No, that's a lie, I didn't pray. I didn't pray because I was mad at God. How do, how could you let this happen? How how could this happen to me? Um, and that was, you know, that's been the darkest time in my in my sobriety. Um, but you you just go on. You just you get up and you put your feet in front of you. You put your shoes on and you make the bed and you go to work and you go to a meeting and you you feel like you're going to throw up in the car and you don't eat and, and it's just like you know I, 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 I lost the two things in the world that were the most the most important to me and uh, so but you know when we 50-50 custody I, I think all summer and I with me Christmas and New Year and I see him I fly back there every month for 10 days a month to see them and and um um by the grace of God, I didn't drink. You know what? I didn't feel like drinking. Um, another quick thing, and, and you know, this was two years ago, or actually, last last January was the first time in a long, long time I felt like drinking. She took me back to court again. She wanted total control of their education and their medical, and she wanted to take away the time she'd already agreed to. And I had to hire an attorney, and I had to write him a massive check. Otherwise, I would have lost. And we went to court, and I kept everything I wanted to, but. You know, I got to pray for that woman every day. Now, I wasn't perfect, I'll admit that, but, um, and it works. That's one of the major things that my sponsor told me was a resentment. He says, uh, you know, you got to get down on your knees and you got to pray for her. God grant her health, happiness, and prosperity. And it works. If I can do it, you can do it. And it doesn't work that much, I can promise you. Because, you know, he told me once, he says, you have a resentment, it is like you drinking the poison and expecting her to die. Um, but I am very fortunate. She's a very good mother. She's a very, she's a smart woman. She's a good mother. We just weren't good together. So I have a lot to be grateful for. And I know if anything happened to me in the morning, those kids would be very well looked after. But that was the toughest thing. And, you know, you'll find many, many excuses to go out and drink. And, um, you know, the, the, you know, hopefully if I didn't drink after that, I, you know, hope, chances are I probably won't because that's the lowest I've ever felt. Um, but, you know, I did what I was taught to do. I went to a lot of meetings. I was on the phone all the time. I talked about it and wrote about it. And, you know, the first time in my life I went to see a therapist. And I didn't think I'd ever do that, but I did. And, and it helped. Everything helps. Um, but, um, boy, it, 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 it brought me to my knees. And if it wasn't for this program, I wouldn't have made it. Um, I have started praying again. Um, it, it, it's slow. I lost a lot of faith. I 
Sometimes I wish I had the strong faith I had when I first got sober, because when you first get sober, you're so desperate, you'd pray to anything, and it works. But then when you get a little bit of stuff back and shit happens, you get risen. Anyway, but the good thing is I, I do pray again, and I'm doing a lot more service work. I'm sponsoring more guys now than I ever have. And half of them don't stay sober, but that's okay, I'm sober. And I, you know, I, I do the best I can. Um, you know, anybody, if you're new in this program or, or you're starting off, you're you're not quite sure. It it is it does work. It really does work. And I don't know how it works or why it works. No one's in charge. It's amazing. Nobody's in charge. Nobody tells you what to do. And and you know, nobody said to me, you know, how come you're late? Why were you late? You know, if someone said that to me when I first got sober, I would just turn around and walked out the door. But this thing does work. Nobody's in charge. Nobody says anything to you. Nobody says you got to put a dollar in the, you know, you don't have to do anything. There are no rules. And it still works. And if it worked for me, it can work for you guys. But what it did for me, it, it taught me how to be disciplined and, you know, consistent. Um, I started having a, a diary again, or a, a journal. And, um, it really works. I mean, it's it, it's it's not it's it's something I thought I'd never do again, but I've I've started doing it again, and it really works because when you when you get the shit out of your head and put it down on paper, you go back a week later and you think, oh my god, what was I thinking about? And, and um, most decisions most most decisions now I will run by my sponsor, especially when it's got to do with my ex, because when you're when you're in something with someone else and it's not, it's it's a little bit tumultuous. I have to ask for, I have to ask for advice. My sponsor, he's been through the same thing and he'll give me, he, you know, he will put me right. Example was this summer, my little girl was here for the summer and she had her eighth birthday party at my house and um, my ex, somehow she got the little, my daughter to say, could she come to the party? She was in LA at the time from Chicago. And my first reaction was, are you, are you effing kidding me? You want to, after the shit you pulled? But I called my sponsor, he says, you know what the right thing to do is. I called about four guys, and of course, I all knew what they were going to say. It's not about you, you selfish prick, it's about the kids. Fucking shut up. What are you talking about? It's not, nothing got to do with you and her, it's about the girls. Is it good for the girls if their mother comes to the birthday party? And I said, yeah. Well, there's your answer. And he dropped the phone. So... But I left my up to my own advice. I said, no way can you come. Why don't you go F yourself? You should I said, yes, come. When she came, I offered her a seat and I was polite and I didn't want to, but <laughs> it was it was not about me. It's nothing's about me. It's all about them two little girls. And you know, you don't know you know, having those two kids was the best thing that ever happened to me. It just taught me to be so unselfish it changes you. Best thing I ever did. Um you know, by the grace of God, those two little girls will never have to see me falling down, smashing furniture, coming home, whatever. You know, they're 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 proud of their dad. The the oldest one is she's uh, she's ten now, and and the guys I sponsor call me, and I she says, "Who's that on the phone?" And I said, "It's just someone I'm helping a friend." And she says, "You help a lot of people, dad, don't you?" You know, and that's something you know. Hopefully, she remember, and it'll be a good example for. Her. Something that she can be proud of, not 
not something that she'll shake her head and go, oh my God, here he comes again. Um, um, you know, when my parents passed away, I was there for them. I was able to go back to Ireland for each of them. Um, I had the means to go back by then and I would go back several times a year. And, you know, my dad, I, uh, we were never very close, but I knew he was, he was not doing good. And uh, I went home and I spent some time with him and, and you know, kind of made a living amends to him. And, and, you know, he was not in great shape. And I said, you know, I said to him when I said, you know, any, anything I did when I was younger, I said, I'm sorry. He says, he kind of brushed it off, didn't know what I was talking about. But, you know, I, I got to see him in his last days and, and we, we never, we didn't become close, but, you know, we, we had some, some good times together. Um, as for my mother, you know, she saw me, you know, 28 years sober, and uh, that was great. She thought I would, because I remember one summer I went home, and she says to me, all you do is you come home, you drop your bags in the corner, and you go out, and you, you're here for three weeks, and all you do is you drink, you're drunk, you leave, and stay out all day, stay out all night, come home drunk. She says, if you're going to keep doing that, don't come home anymore. Wow, that's your own mother saying that to you. So that will show you how much it hurt her. And then by the time she passed away, I had 28 years sober. And, um, you know, she was, she was, she knew she could depend on me. When I said I'd be home and such a time I'll be home, or if I said I was going to do something, I'd do it. And, and um, I know she went to her grave. She was, she was happy. She was happy that I had two kids. She saw my kids and she was so happy for me. And this was just before the divorce. So she didn't know anything about it, which is good. Um, um, as I say, it's, it's, it's just a blessing to be here. If I thought that I would have stayed sober this amount of time, I, would have, I might have done things differently. Um, the one thing I will say, and I'm amazed at myself, is no matter how much sober time I have, if I don't go to meetings on a consistent basis, and this was a scary thing, and I'm gonna say this, that I can be as crazy as I was the day I had my last drink if I don't come to meetings on a consistent basis. And that's the message I give anybody who's kind of half new, and if you think that you can come in and get your fill and get sober and go back out, no, you can't. For me, I don't know about you, but I've done some crazy shit in sobriety that I am not proud of. I've since made amends for, but it just shows me if I don't stick close to this and if I don't help the next guy and keep in check and, you know, gotta call a sponsor because he will, he tells me, stop it, stop it, stop it talking like that. You're full of shit, stop it, you should know better. That's why I call him, because I know, because I know he'll give me the answer, the right answer, not the one I want to hear. And um, so the scary thing is that I can be as crazy as ever uh, with X amount of years of sobriety. So I have to come to these meetings and I have to help the next guy. You know, two or three meetings a week is good for me. The more, you know, the more, the more meetings I go to, the better. Uh, I travel a lot, no, no matter where I go, I find a meeting. No excuse not to go to a meeting now. We all have these handheld computers. All you gotta do, there's an app with the chair on it, you find a meeting, the phone will find your location, you find a meeting. So no excuse to anybody not to find a meeting. I'm going to Brazil in the new year, and uh, I've already got a, a couple of meetings down there in Rio, English-speaking meetings, and, and but the gift is of AA is that I can travel to these places, you know? And like, I was, my world was so small when I got in here. It was so small. But today I'm a free man. I can go anywhere 
do anything I want to do within reason. And, uh, you know, this program has given me the means to go on vacation for three weeks. And the thing about it is, I always say, oh, I'll go when, I'll go when, I'll go next year. Next year may never come. So I said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to book a flight. I have some friends down there. I said, come stay with me for free. So that's what I did. And that's the gift of AA, that it gives me these options that I don't, I'm not chained down anymore by. And I don't, you know, I don't let anybody chain me down. And I, you know, another guy said to me once, and, and great things are stuck in my head. He says, say what you mean, but don't be mean. Say what you mean, but don't be mean. And uh, today I'm not a floor mat for anyone. If anything, I kind of go the other side. I'm, I'm. If I feel at any time that someone's saying something to me that are disrespecting me, I didn't fucking come this. I didn't come this far to have some asshole talk badly to me. And I know that I shouldn't swear at the meetings, but you know, today I stick up for myself. I don't let anybody. That's not going to fly anymore. When I came here, I was a floor mat for the whole world. But today, that's not going to fly, and I don't let it happen. You know, that's the self-respect and dignity we get back in this program. And so. I, you know, I, I think I'm nearly out of time, and, and I'll finish with this. Let's, thanks again for asking me to come here, and I apologize for being late on the freeway. And, and, but the one thing I will say is the amount of time I've been here, nobody has ever gone back out. You drink like me. Nobody's ever gone back out and said, you know what, it works this time. Because if you drink like me, it never works. It never, it just gets worse. And, you know, you just stop. You come in here and you throw away the shovel and you stop digging the hole because it, get, it does get worse. I've seen guys die. I've seen guys go into penitentiary, come out with AIDS. I've seen some horrible stories and it does get worse. If you think you're, you know, if you think it can, it does get worse. And by the grace of God, and I've been, I've been so blessed to get this program because a lot of my friends have never gotten this program. A lot of my friends, you know, and I'll finish with this and just give you an example of what it's like. When I first got sober, there was a guy, we were, in, we were in the same business, and he was driving a Porsche, black Porsche, never forget it, I just got here. And the number played on the Porsche was 911CAB, those were his initials. And I went away and I worked on the East Coast for 15 years and I came back, and this same guy got into terrible trouble. Drugs, alcohol, had sold his property, got divorced. And I swear to God, so I come back to LA and I'm driving down the street one day, and I heard he got into some bad shit or got in a lot of trouble. And I see this guy coming to work. And he's on a fucking skateboard. This, I swear to God. This was the same guy 15 years earlier who was driving the black Porsche who had all the property. And he's down onto Baldwin going into Santa Anita and he's on a skateboard. And the guy was a household name 15 years ago. And he still can't get it. So that's, you know, that, that's what happened. And, uh, you know, by the grace of God, if I keep doing what I'm doing, you know, uh, it won't happen to me. And it's just, and uh, so, keep coming back. It doesn't get any better if you go back out, back out there. People have done it many, many times, and nobody comes back looking better. They come back six, six to eight months later, and it looks like they've been in a fight, and they just look older. You don't have to, you don't have to ask them a question. You just look at them, and you can tell they've been out. So, thank you again, Les, for asking me to share. And um, thanks again, guys. Appreciate it. Thank Jerry again.
Chris still, as far as I know, alcoholic. Where are we at here? Okay, we need a uh, volunteer to uh, read the promises and pray us out. Dave and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Dave. <clears throat> the promises: if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations we choose to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? Nope, we, we think, think not. not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. <clears throat> now, after a moment of silence for the alcoholic who still suffers in and out of these rooms and the innocent children caught in the crossfire, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. The Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Everybody. Sponsee, 19 year old that picked up uh, he picked up a DUI coming home with some friends and has it totally put his life upside down and the family's life where the parents have had to bring him to the meetings and I got to know the young man and uh, not an alcoholic as the extent that we drank but uh, a student that just needed some guidance and he took off in the right way he's got over a year now going on two years he's academically working for uh, swimming events now i guess preparing for the olympics or something he's always uh achieving great things <clears throat> but it's really interesting that part of his uh restoration program by the uh i guess the authorities uh, in addition to a, a great big fine is uh, going to the morgue and I asked him to give us a report because 
I believe the morgue uh, speaks a lot about our uh, 3,600 death last year of alcohol-impaired drivers on the road uh, and, you know, the dangers of it, so the awareness. So here's his report of my young sponsee, Jonathan, and thank you, Jonathan, for uh, doing this for us. Here he go. He is Jonathan. Hello, everyone. So, I just finished my hospital and work program, and I wanted to review this with you guys. So, I am going to go over the hospital portion first. And we mainly focus on how alcohol affects you, both men and women. First off, I wanted to go over with you guys what is considered a legal drink. You see, one is the 12 ounces of beer. There is also 8 ounces of malt liquor. Moreover, there is 5 ounces of wine and 1.5 ounces of hard liquor. Which, in other words, it's just one shot. Now, usually it takes 2 to 3 drinks depending on your size and how often you drink to reach the illegal limit, which is 0.08 BAC or above. Moving on, I wanted to talk about the different BAC levels and how they affect you. First off, if you are around the 0.05 BAC level, your behavior will may, will or may become exaggerated. You may speak louder and gesture more. You may also begin to lose control of small muscles, like the ability to focus your eyes, so vision will become blurry. Now, moving on to the 0.08 BAC, which is considered the illegal and unsafe limit to drive, you will lose more coordination. So, your balance, speech, reaction times, and even hearing will become worse. On the other hand, 0.10% BAC level. This is where reaction time and control will be reduced. And your speech will become slurred. Thinking and reasoning are slower. And the ability to coordinate your arms and legs is very poor. Moreover, the 0.15 BAC, which is very high. And this is where you have much less control over your balance and voluntary muscles. So walking and talking are difficult. You may fall and even hurt yourself. Now, on the other hand, once you reach the 0.20 to 0.29%, this is where you start feeling confusion, feel dazed, and disorientation is very common. Sensations of pain will change, so if you fall and seriously hurt yourself, you will not even notice. And you're less likely to do anything about it. Nausea and vomiting are likely to occur. And the gag reflex will become impaired. Which could cause choking and aspirating on vomiting. And during this level, this is where usually all blackouts happen. And which, in other words, it means that you don't remember what happened. 
asking. I want to go over the point 30 and above, which is considered even more dangerous because once you reach this level, this is when you are unconscious and can potentially die. Now, at the end of the day, they wanted us to work on ourselves. And especially because due to the pandemic, more people are stressed and frustrated, which is why we must stay focused on our goals and look at the pros and cons of drinking. On one hand, one drink isn't bad in itself. It is multiple drinks and how often you decide to drink, which is bad. But again, why drink? If it does not benefit you in any way, then why do it? In my situation, yes, I have taken a drink or two after I received my DUI, which is bad and unresponsible. But due to my great supporters, and especially my sponsor, Fernando, who keeps me on my feet and motivates me to not drink, I am not an alcoholic. But anyone can turn into one without the right friends or family. Which is why I am grateful I have a great support from family and my most recent and great friend, Fernando. Now, moving on to the more portion. We did not actually see the dead people physically, which most people usually do. But simply due to the COVID situation, we took a in-person class and saw visual pictures of all the different cases on how people died such cases such as drunk driving or under the influence of other drugs such as cocaine or even attending illegal racing what i learned from this is very simple which is not be in the presence or take part in illegal acts or be under the influence of drugs and alcohol because it can either affect you or other innocent people. We all live once, so just take it easy and live life the right way. Now, to finish off the recording, I just want to say we all make mistakes and will likely keep making mistakes, but learning from them and keeping them small will help you live a happier and longer life. Thank you. Wow, that was Jonathan. Um, I heard you heard the part. I apologize for the recording. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, I guess he was recording in his car and the recording, I'll have to fix that and maybe uh, reread it to you by listening in another format. But anyway, uh, this is Jonathan's report of the morgue. I was just I thought I was going to hear the uh, statistics of uh, 15 people came into the morgue today. Eight of them were alcohol and drug related deaths, you know, their heart stop or heroin doses and stuff like that. But uh, it's like anything in life. It's always a surprise. I was uh, very well surprised in the uh, what they teach at the L.A. morgue on DUI cases. I had not the opportunity to go to the morgue when I first got my first DUI in my mid-20s or early 20s. Uh, on my second DUI, 
about my mid-twenties, I, uh, I was sent to AA, an interview school, where I saw I was the prodigal son, and I woke up. I woke up, and I said, wow, I, need, I didn't have any power to live right. I knew what was the right thing to do. I had no power, and alcohol was seeming like the only thing that was offering me power, you know, to, to have peace of mind. But when I went to the to these programs, I got peace of mind with the enthusiasm, with the literature, with the truth that was in the middle of the room, and the corresponding people that, that display their humor, their love, their compassion. <clears throat> and the presence of God was so strong in these rooms that through osmosis, I got the program. Through osmosis, the devils left. Through osmosis... I learned to be a responsible uh, to the at my best ability and start falling forward. Instead of falling backwards and backwards, you know what's falling backwards. You get one DUI, you go three days forward and you get uh, to a fight and you get backed up again. Then you go forward and back trying to achieve your goals, trying to go back and forth. <clears throat> but once the doors were open, they're happy, joyous and free. There was powers to achieve Oh, great things. Purchase a house, purchase cars, and hang on to them, and, and uh, have space, stable relationships. Anyway, God bless you. May the Lord help us, our higher power, individually help us to be the, the person they call us to be. Take care.